Before we turn to the reading of God's word, I want to make a, a comment on that song. Do, do we really realize what we just asked in prayer and in song? We asked the God of the universe to speak to us. And the amazing thing is that he answers and does. And that what we are about to hear right now is the very word of God, him speaking to us. And that means we come before him and we better put it aside not only the distractions of our minds, not only the thoughts of everything going on in life to focus on this word, but as well the chilling reality that if the God of the universe is going to speak to us, it demands an obedient response. We are not those that can sit and hear the word of God speak and then take it and think whether or not we'll hear or obey. There is only one right way to hear the word of God, and that is to respond. We even sang it. We sang it and it says in response to the word of God that, that by grace we'll stand on your promises and by faith we'll walk as you walk with us. That's the response to hearing God's word. We will listen to it. We will obey it. It's a chilling reality. It's a great blessing, but it's one that we should pause and think what we're about to do. Now, if you would turn in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs 3, we'll be reading verses 21 through 35. The words of the Father of Proverbs, which is, as just said, truly the word of God our Father to his people. With this responsibility and weight from hearing God's word before us, before we read Proverbs 3, let's ask for God's blessing in prayer. Lord, we have come before you with the, the bold request to hear your word, and may you in grace match the boldness of that request with a receptivity of faith and heart. Speak, O Lord, to us, and may what would be said be in accord and truly your word, which is we believe when rightly proclaimed from your mouthpiece, from your word, is the very word of God itself. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts and that what we would find in you is, is the, the great beauty and awesome desire we have for you, that you would bless us and help by grace us to perform by faith what you even call us to do in your word. We ask this in your name. Amen. Proverbs 3, verses 21 through 35. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again tomorrow, I will give it, when you have it with you. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. 
ascends the reading of God's word. People of God, we began last time in this chapter of Proverbs by looking at the, the previous section of verses that, that dealt with the blessing, that dealt with the happiness that comes from following God and obeying his word. Really, the happiness, the blessing that comes from wisdom. From wisdom, from knowing the Lord, from fearing him and walking according to his ways, according to his laws. And that that will be a blessing upon his people. That that will keep your ways blessed. And that's what we talked about last time. If you remember, we, we said that even in the context of a new year of 2024, that we ought to be those pursuing happiness, pursuing blessing, but only in God himself. And that there we will find happiness. Well, as we continue in this text and what we read, we now see there's another part, another aspect of the way of wisdom And that aspect is the way of security. The way of security. That's what the father of Proverbs is teaching his son and what he wants him to know. As you follow the introduction of Proverbs, that's chapters 1 through 9, as he is introducing wisdom, he is constantly talking to his son and he's saying, Listen, O son of mine, listen to your father's instruction. Know what's right, know what you pursue, know what you put off and what you avoid. He wants his son to gain in maturity. And so he said, hey, if you want a blessed life and a wonderful life, you follow the Lord. And and we know that that blessing and that wonder and that happiness isn't in the circumstances of life. He had said it isn't even in riches that you might gain. It's in God himself. It's in the understanding and knowledge of God. That's what wisdom is. And now he's telling his son, if you want security of foot." Young people here, if you want your ways to be set before you and to walk them confidently and rightly and in a way that would please the Lord, if this is what you want, listen to the instruction of Proverbs. Know that you have security in following God. We live in a world where there is no security. We live in a world where everyone is is afraid where anxieties and trials seem to be at an all-time high, where the youth of the world have, have, have so much afflicting and oppressing them, the issues that they face. Well, well where do you turn? Can, can you have security in such a world? And the answer is absolutely. It's the way of wisdom. It's the way of the Lord. Remember, living in wisdom means much more. It, it, it includes this, but it means much more than living according to a group of wise sayings. Or living to a group of wise principles. It means living in a right relationship with God. And the way of wisdom is not truly being sought after unless that pursuit of God blossoms into an understanding of his word and his law and is something that is guiding your feet, something that you begin to understand and digest and fully live according to that that actually masters your life as the wisdom of God. And so you will have a secure way. Your feet will know where to go. Your, your, your counsel will be of success and wisdom and love. You will be a help to those around you. You will be a, a secure person in which you dwell. And that might not mean you always feel it, but the reality is that you will have it. Security. And that's what we see. We're going to spend the vast majority of this morning focusing on verses 21 through 26, where we see wisdom security, and then we will cover more briefly verses 27 to 35 in wisdom's love for neighbor. But first, wisdom's security. Verse 23, look how 
how it explains the security we have in the Father's instruction. You could almost paraphrase it by saying, we will walk so securely that we won't even stub our toe. That, that's the security with which we have God. We will not stumble. Our feet will not stumble. We walk with the Lord. And they will be set on right paths. You will not fall away. Verses 23 through 24 reveal a sequence of actions. Notice the posture of what the father of Proverbs is talking about. He talks about walking. He talks about sitting down. He talks about going to sleep. It's, it's all your ways in life. It's, think of the posture you take throughout the day when you stand up and walk, when you sit down to rest, when you lie down to sleep. All of these ways are kept in security for you, and you can ask, well, by what? What's this security? Can we say it's in following God's word? We can, and that's, that's a true answer. But I would say let's deepen that and say the security is in the relationship, which is part that we will follow God's word, but it's bigger than that. It's not just, I'm going to live this, I'm going to live these principles, I'm going to obey what God's word says. That's part of it. But the security you know in God is because of the relationship and fellowship with him. You see, it's not just in do's. Do this, and then you'll be blessed. No, it's, it's know the person, know God. Follow him, and yes, you will be blessed, and yes, your ways will be secure. We'll explain what the, the secure ways actually mean a bit later on, but we're just putting before us what he's saying, that, that this is done without pain or fear. Now that's the, the security in which we live. The words talk about sweet sleep. I wonder how many that resonates with. Sleep is hard to come by in a world of stress and anxieties and difficulties or pain. And just physical pain can, can keep you awake. And what he's saying there is there's the ability to rest in God. There's the ability even to sleep in him. And that's true. That's true even in the, the literal wording itself doesn't mean it always happens. It doesn't mean every night we sleep like a log. But what it's meaning is we're able to put ourselves so fully on God's path, to place our trust so fully in Him that we are able to rest, no matter what's afflicting. Able to put your mind at ease. And when the world might be panicking and when they might be running to every different vice to find some sort of comfort or they might be running to every different God to, to continue hop around to find something that might give them comfort, you're asleep in the corner. You found it already. That's the idea. That's what's being conveyed by these words in Proverbs, a rest. Verse 25 explains that we don't need to be afraid of the sudden terror of the ruin of the wicked. You know, what happens to the unrighteous? They experience one ruin after another. Now, when we go through trials, we, we know that the trial is for our good, that the trial is for our sanctification, that we are brought closer to God through it. That's what he gives to us, and so we are secure even in the midst of trial. But what about the ruin and, and trial of unbelief? What does that give to them? They're, they walk in terror of it. You see the difference? You see how, how different wisdom is in security? When a follower of God, a true son or daughter of Jesus Christ, faces the trial, they say, I trust in the wisdom of he who is greater and has promised me good through this, and so I can walk in security. Versus the trial of the wicked who can't make heads or tails of any of it. And in, in actual respect, these trials that they face are merely 
foretaste, pre, pre-taste appetizers of, of judgment, of the true day of ruin of hell. Something like Braxton Hicks contractions. It's not the dime, it's not the time for delivery, but it's, it's pointing forward to that that will come, but it's not it. It's just reminding you of what is going to come. The trials and difficulties of life for a believer is one you walk in with security. The trials of unbelief are only ruin. The righteous person fears God's and God, and this promotes genuine security, inner peace, but the fool at best The fool at best lives in a blind confidence, unaware of the real dangers, and so he blunders into hazardous paths. And boys and girls, young people, you can be assured that if you do not follow the way of wisdom as here presented, so you will blunder into hazardous paths, so you will prove to be the fool, and you will have no security in life at all. Because it's only truly found in Jesus. It's only truly found in God through him. And that's what these first verses are presenting. Brothers and sisters, we have security. I don't think that's a truth we, we press enough and hold dear enough. We have the capacity through our relationship with Jesus for security, to have rest and to have peace, to have confidence in our, in our steps and our ways to have confidence in the way God leads and guides. It's there for us. It's ours. And one of the biggest things we have to do is, is follow the instruction of God's word to, to feel and sense it, to know it, to obey in it. Some of us need to really put before our, our minds, our hearts, the confidence and security we have in God. And at times, what that will take is you continuing a steady diet on such passages as these. And to ask yourself, God's promised security, and I know I have it right where I'm at. His promises aren't false or fake. I must have security right now, but what does that mean? What does that mean in my life? You must take the wisdom of this instruction and apply it. Apply it to your own circumstances. And it's not the circumstance that will prove whether you have the security or not. It's knowing the gospel truth in light of it, in spite of it. And we have to get better at doing that very thing. You have security. And yet, we can doubt that. We can doubt it, and it seems to to contradict at times our own experience So I want to go through four points of defense. Defense to to respond to that doubt that we might experience and the the way we might tell ourselves, no, we don't have security, or or to think we don't observe this security. How do we respond to it to, to cultivate that security we have in the way of God and in his wisdom, understanding, and fear of him? Just like the last time, I'm greatly indebted to David P. Murray here in his sermons on this text. So I want to go through these four points why we might doubt, what might be a barrier to the security that we should have and can have. Well, the first reason we might doubt or struggle is that enemies of the truth will mispresent the truth. Enemies of the truth will mispresent the truth. Well, first, who are the enemies mispresenting the truth? Well, it's, it's unbelievers, it's the world. It's also Satan and his influences. 
those who his his demons it's it's we're under attack we're in a war and so we face in the promise of god on one hand that he's he's declaring to to you his people who follow him you will have security you will walk in safety and rest and then you have on the other hand the enemy saying no you won't and they cause us doubt they attack it they lie they tempt they, say, they, they, they cast the doubt on it by saying, do you really have that security when you're going through this? Even our own minds can, can fabricate such questions of doubt. Can, can God really be blessing me? Can, my, can it really be that my foot's not even stubbing its toe when my life seems to be in disarray? You know, it's, it's that attack. It's that, it's that attack and mispresenting of the truth that warps it. And we, we, can, we can listen to that, but what we're listening to isn't truth. It's a distortion. It's a lie from the enemy. It's a lie from those who don't believe. That's one way in which we can, can fail to know the security of, of God's way. Attacks from the enemy, and we have to be aware of that and fight against it. Second way we can doubt the security we have in Christ is that Christians mispresent the faith. So the first point was that enemies are mispresenting the truth, but, but secondly, Christians themselves, true believers, can mispresent the truth. There are some Christians who are experts in, in being miserable and sad. There are some of us, some of our brothers and sisters, who greatly struggle to live in the way they should and so what we see in them is only a dour disposition, is only, the, only sorrow and sadness. It's not, it's not the, the promises of joy. What we've been cultivating instead is selfishness or self-focus. This can be for many reasons. This can be because of just ignorance. We aren't mature. We haven't grown. We haven't taken God's word and fully digested it and, and lived according to it. And so we don't know the true security we can have. There's the gift right there that we could place ourselves in and know better, but we don't because we just don't know it. Another way that a true believer can, can fail in this and to mispresent the truth is, is their sin. And this happens so easy. Rather than trusting in the security we have in God, what we, what we think about is, is, I just don't like this. I don't want to go through this. It's, it, 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 it's sin and doubt. It can actually be sins that we're pursuing. It can be that, that we hear from brothers and sisters, I just don't know the security of God, and in reality what they're doing is they're living a sinful life. And no, you won't experience and sense that security when your life is pursuing a vice. God is wise enough to attach to the pursuit of sin accompanying consequences of grief and pain. And so even at times when Christians backslide or, or don't live as they ought, they themselves, we ourselves, mispresent the truth to us. We need to fight against it. Let me put it this way. Jesus would not deny the security of wisdom even though he was the man of sorrows familiar with suffering. He wouldn't doubt that security, though we might look at it and, and an enemy might have told him and did, right? Doesn't Satan do that? Doesn't put before him, how can you trust? How can you be secure? Can that... An enemy afflict him, or, or couldn't our own minds have said, well, how can God be, be faithful here, Jesus? You're, you're this man of sorrows. It seems like you know nothing but grief. But he was secure. 
He was secure in his faith because he was wise. He was pursuing wisdom. He wouldn't have doubted it, which means we don't have a right to doubt the security that God gives us even in our own sorrows and even in our own trials. It means we have to be Christ-like and realize how that security is present because it is. In following the way of God, it's there. We need to fight against the idea that following God is only a trial, it's only suffering, but not joy and confidence. Let me tell you, Psalms 16, 27, 34, 46, 91, and that's just a, a sampling of Psalms that quite clearly presents a security even in the midst of horrible situations, and that God is a refuge and a fortress that God does not forsake us, that God will deliver us, that he encamps around us, that he will deliver us from all our fears. That's what those psalms put before us. This means that it doesn't mean as if it's, it's, always, it's always the pain, it's always trial and suffering, that it's, it's as if it's always a time to mourn and never a time to dance or laugh. I put before you, if, if you live such a life, it's only ever mourning, it's only ever suffering, that, that you never actually put before you a hope and a security that you need to think of these verses. That doesn't, that doesn't delegitimize, that doesn't take away what you're going through. It's saying that accompanying with this trial is a bunch of promises and blessing that God gives. The way of wisdom, the way of the Son, the way of Jesus Christ, knowing Him. And in that... Your feet are secure. In that you can rest. So we can't judge the faithfulness of God's word here on the false examples of enemies or even the poor examples of brothers and sisters. We see the truth of security because of wisdom, understanding, and knowing God. And sometimes we need to turn and repent and seek to live a joyful life that's gospel-centered. Here's another way of putting it. If you look at verse 17, we read that last time, not this time, but if you look at verse 17, it says that the ways of wisdom, her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. Well, let's put it this way. Sometimes we can make mistakes as believers that will not lead us to the promises of verse 17, to those experiences. We have to seek it. We have to seek it in God. We can neglect to take advantage of peace that God provides for those reasons, for sins and ignorance, immaturity. It can be very simple things. What if it's just that you're just unsatisfied with your situation in life, your circumstances? And what you, what you can do is you can be so upset at the job you have, upset at your family situation or lack thereof, upset at everything you're going through, and then you would look at verse 17 and you would say, I don't know the pleasant paths of peace. What is this talking about? You see where the, the sin lies. It lies in not realizing these are God's ways for you and they are good. That if you could, you can't, but let's just say hypothetically, someone could come to you and say, would you change your situation that you don't like if it was against God's will to do it? And our answer would have to be, well, no. Because if you did, you would say God isn't wise. God doesn't know. It would be better to change it. He's clearly in error. No, the, the answer would have to be, well, no. I, I would have to say, even in the circumstances I'm going through, because it's God's perfect will, it must be good. And it must be best. 
And you see how that starts transforming a dissatisfied situation and, and, and the, the barrier of knowing the, the pleasant past that God has given. It's an acceptance of his plan and will, not in a changing of your circumstances. And then you will know security. Boys and girls, you can cultivate this. You can learn this now, especially young people. You who are in high school even. You stand at this position, you stand at this transitionary phase, and, and you're starting to establish the patterns of who you are and will be. And, and what are you going to do? Is it going to be dissatisfaction? Is it going to be complaining? Is it going to be a pursuit of sin? Or what's wrong? But as you establish this, as you listen to the, the wisdom of the Father of Proverbs, you know peace and security. And so we can see enemies attack and we can doubt. Christians themselves can be can be immature or, or sinning and not present the truth. But third, and this is important that we say, a barrier to us feeling this security is that Christians are called to go through hard times. This is sort of the balancing act to what the last point was, that God does call his people to suffer as well, and we need to know that. We need to know that when we go through trials or times of life that aren't easy, that's not an abandoning of the promises of God. It's what he said would happen. This is a, an important definition of Proverbs that I got from a resource. And if you're taking notes, it would be good to, to even write this down, that we'd understand Proverbs. Proverbs are not cast-iron guarantees, but general rules to which there are exceptions. I'm going to say that again. Proverbs are not cast-iron guarantees, but general rules to which there are exceptions. Meaning it is true, and it is the general rule that in following the way of God, your paths will know success, even success in this life. That in following the way of God and in trusting on Him, you could experience even better sleep at night. Okay? Understand what I'm saying, that you can actually receive these blessings and oftentimes do as the result of following God. But that's not always the case. God has taken many a night of sleep away from faithful followers and they weren't sinning in it. God has given many paths that seemed very difficult. Job and Christ are probably the, the, the best examples of those who receive such paths, and it was for a better plan. And we have to trust that, yes, we do experience times of sorrow and suffering, but it's not that that takes away our understanding of what we're given in following the Word of God. Sometimes our suffering is to display our faith. Sometimes it's given us an opportunity to grow. God does withdraw the, the seeming sense of his favor for his wise purposes. But you notice that what never changed is that you are still secure in God. Your paths are still the right ones. Your rest in him is still there, even if the experience of it isn't. And for whatever reason, even the physicality of our bodies can seem to, to be in the way. We can be believing and trusting the right thing, and, and yet our bodies themselves are, are not responding or are broken down or feel a certain way. And, and you know what? That just does happen. And that doesn't mean necessarily that you're in error or are sinning. You're going through a trial. And yet there you still need to know the security in it. Four, another reason to not doubt the security we have is this. 
Future blessings of glory are more than enough to make up for the suffering now. That's part of believing in the security of God's wise path. Future blessings of glory are more than enough to make up for the suffering now. What this is doing is it's seeing that your security and confidence in God's paths know the destination. They're at the end. They know the kingdom. They know the promise. They know heaven is there. And the glory that awaits is more than enough to make up for the trials now, is more than enough to say that, yes, God's way was better. God's way was wise. There is great glory and reward there that God gives. And he gives it with great, with great grace and abundance. He lavishes it upon his people. And so at times, knowing the way of security in wisdom is to, to place your mind and gaze on that future instead of on the present. And that's part of the rest that we have in him. And in all, we can say that whatever God's reason, he does what he does for our long-term joy and security. You see the wisdom in that? That's a wise Christian. Whatever God does, he does ultimately for our long-term joy and security. And so you walk in the right paths. The future blessings of glory are more than enough to make up for it. Ultimately, when we talk about finding our security in wisdom, we, we again, we don't mean a, a simple understanding and simple principles. You'll miss the whole point if all you do is, is go through Proverbs and then say, okay, I won't steal, and I won't lust, and I, and I will pursue what is good, and I'll be fair. All those are wise things. All those are God-glorifying things, but you'll miss the whole point if that's what you think is the life of wisdom in God. It isn't. You've missed it all if you've missed the Son, if you've missed Christ, if you've missed God. The only way to know that security, the only way to even carry out the principles of Proverbs is by being in the Son himself and united to him. Then you will be able to carry it out. Don't miss what wisdom is. Wisdom is a relationship with God that carries out into our actions. It's not just actions. It's not just knowledge. That only comes through knowing someone else, experientially knowing and walking with him. That's the way of wisdom. That's the way of security. We have Christ. Let me put it this way. If we have Christ, how could we not be secure? If you have Christ, how could you not be secure? That means if you could be moved, that means he'd have to be. It means if you could be stolen by the enemy, it means he's weaker than him. It means if your faith were to fail, it means his election wasn't good enough. It means if your trials are so bad that, that you think he's failed, that, well, what, what about his trials and his faith that he went through? Didn't he, didn't he portray to us already what it means to, to bear a cross, but to no security in it? Are your trials worse than Christ's were? Do you have the right to, to doubt God when he didn't, going through a much difficult path, much more difficult path than we? If you are in Christ, you are secure. There, there is no other option. That's where we start to turn our gaze to know it. And that's where I'd put before you, that's what the Father of Proverbs would put before us here now. If you don't 
if you're not, not living in the security of wisdom to know God, to, to, to know the peace, then you need to set your gaze on Christ and, and, and really think through, I believe in him, so what does that mean for my destiny, my future, my current situation and struggle? As you ask those questions, you will know wisdom's security. Now we turn attention to the last verses, 27 through 35, and go through this briefly. Wisdom's love for neighbor. You see that it sort of seems to just change topic. It's the father talking about the son and, and his security that he would have, the security and rest of his paths, and then all of a sudden it's like, don't do this to your neighbor. And you might think, well, what's going on here? But what we've seen is that the father has been in chapter 3 trying to teach his son the, the better way of wisdom. He's trying to, as we talked about last time, entice his son to what is better in the way of God. And so he's shown earlier in the chapter that in the way of wisdom is better happiness. In the way of wisdom is, is creation itself, how God created the earth. In the way of wisdom, as we just read, is security and happiness. And now he's turning in the way of wisdom is societal blessing. So you see what the Father's doing. He's saying, not only is, is God's way, God's wisdom, good for you personally, it's good for the society as well as you live in wisdom. You see, it's not just a blessing to you personally and internally, it's a blessing to the world itself and to your neighbor as well. That's included in the way of wisdom. It affects all of life. And so what he's doing is he's kind of giving his son a sample of this wisdom. He, he's saying, follow this instruction. Know security personally and know the wise way to act towards your neighbor to spread that love. And, and it's a full display of wisdom. So if I could illustrate it this way, it's sort of like taking a tray of different samples of wisdom, right? Putting it before it and saying, look at wisdom here in creation. Look at wisdom here personally in security. Look at wisdom here in society life itself. And you'll see how it's by far better than the alternatives, better than the way of the world. So you'll see it affects all of life. And there's five admonitions given in these verses that all begin with don't. In verse 27, you see don't withhold benefits, is what he's saying. In verse 28, you see don't delay in giving back what you owe. In verse 29, don't devise to harm another unjustly. In verse 30, it's don't quarrel unjustly. In verse 31, it's don't envy the lawless man. So briefly, we'll just look at each of those verses. The first in verse 27, don't withhold benefits. Verse 27 is saying, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due, even when it's in your power to do it. Don't withhold the good that you can do to your neighbor when you have the power to do them good. It's owed to them. They, your giving them goodness is owed to them because you have the capacity to do it to them who are, who, who are owed it. Now, the, obviously, as, as we said, Proverbs takes wisdom to apply. There are ways in which we could misapply this and be foolish with our own resources. But, but the point he's trying to say is do good to your neighbor. Don't withhold it. How often? This is, this is very similar to like what you see in the Good Samaritan. The goodness you could do to the one you, who, who's in this trial and in this need, to the one that, that you're the only one that, that is there to help and you don't. No, he's saying do good, do not withhold them this blessing, don't keep it from them. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due and it is in your power to do it. God places us in those situations, and you see how that would contribute to a better society and blessing and an outward focus on, on what God has given. You're loving your neighbor, you're doing them good. And which I'd also connect to the last point, too. 
The only way you're going to do this is if you're secure in God already. As if you're following that path of wisdom, then you're attuned enough to his ways to say, I'm going to help this person. I want to help this person. It, it stems from your security in God being on his path. Now you will help. Now you will bless. Verse 28, don't delay in giving back what you owe. That's what you see there. It's the idea that we are to give and to give without delay. This is likely tying into the, the various ways one would give in that day and age and, and, and accept some kind of collateral insurance on it. Likely something like if you were, were to take a cloak from someone because you've, you've loaned it to them, well, the, on both sides of it, you should pay the, ba- the debt back as soon as possible. And on the other side, you don't withhold the cloak that they might need. You're not just, just after everything you can gain, you don't delay in giving back what you owe. That's a wise practice. It contributes to a better society. It shows care. Why? You're caring enough to not be lazy. You're caring enough to not be greedy about yourself. You're, you have a greater concern for your neighbor and their need, and so you don't delay. You don't delay in, in promising and providing it. Do not, with, do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it. It's saying, don't delay that. Your neighbor's there. He needs it now. And yet you say, I'll give it to you then. No, you should be responsible and caring enough to provide what your neighbor needs then. You give it. When you have it with you, you, you give it back. What's in your power to do good, you are obligated, obliged to do it. Verses 29 and 30, you, you see a similar idea. The, the verses 29 is don't devise to harm another unjustly. And then verse 30 is to not quarrel. What these verses are saying is it's a call to protect your innocent neighbor. So here's the idea. You do have a right to contend even legally to contend against those who've done you wrong. That's not, it's not as if God's saying you can't do such a thing. You can't, you can't go and pursue a just action from someone who's stolen or, or robbed or something like that. What this idea is, is that you're misusing and abusing someone who's done nothing an innocent party. You're just seeking to use them. It's not a just looking for law and justice. It's not that. It's not standing on rights. It's abuse of them. We can pursue legal action against someone who does us wrong, but it's telling us not to produce or pursue something against your neighbor's interest who has no quarrel with you. It would be easy to try to take advantage of those who are unsuspecting, of those who trust you, of those who are kind, for those who are innocent, you could seek your own gain through it. And he's saying, don't do that. Don't put yourself forward against these. Now you see how these commands contribute to a just society. How, how many are there who prey on the innocent? How many are those who do this very thing? They send, send spam emails, there's lies, there's fraud. All it is is preying on innocence, preying on those who, who don't owe you that money. It's theft. We could do this on the business level, taking advantage of a customer, seeing that, hey, we could really charge them a lot, and they would have no idea, charge them past what is right, saying not to do that. Or what about those who seek to get out of paying something that they owe to make full restitution? This, this happens on huge levels in the insurance companies of the world, trying to get out of having to pay what they promised, trying to find a loophole to get out of it. See, this type of instruction would say you don't do that. You keep your word, you do what is good. The medical field does these types of things. It's, it's full of excess. It prescribes medications and shots at, uh, in ways that it doesn't need to do. It uses 
those who are depending on them to, to gain wealth in ways that are not always right. Certainly, this doesn't apply to everyone in the field by any means, but this often happens there. It would be a correction to that measure as well. Then you see then in these previous verses, you see what to do with these innocent neighbors, how to treat them. But then in the next verses, in verses 31 and 32, it's, it's a call not to imitate them. So in the previous verses, it's do good to your poor neighbor, protect your innocent neighbor. And then in verses 31 and 32, we see it's a call to beware of your evil neighbor. And this contributes to a good society as well. Not only blessings to those who need it, but of being aware of the wrong influences in it. It would be easy to, to mimic and envy the wicked and what they gain. There's a lot of worldly gain to be had at using the innocent, right? That's obvious. That's why they do it. You could get ahead. We could do it personally. You, can, you, could, you could mimic the, those in your classes who are evil yet seem to get ahead. Boy, it seems like if you lied on a test, you could get a perfect grade, right? The Father of Proverbs is saying, don't mimic them. It doesn't matter what they might gain. Why? Just look at the verses that follow. Look how God sees them. Those who are wicked, deceptive, they're an abomination to the Lord. So the father of, of Proverbs is instructing us to, to not envy the wicked, to do good. So you bring it all together here as we close. Wisdom's way leads to happiness in God alone. Wisdom's way lies in security, in blessings both personal and societal. Wisdom's way is the way of Christ. Brothers and sisters, the way of wisdom is to know security in Christ and it's that same wisdom that ought to cause us to love our neighbor. So let me put it this way. We've been offered, it's probably not the best term, but a smorgasbord of wisdom. Here it is. It's better. It's to know God. It's to know blessing. It's to love your neighbor. In short, it's to know Christ. It's to follow him. It's to be a Christian Brothers and sisters, your way is secure. Trust that. Trust in God and his way of wisdom. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and are thankful for the blessing that it is to know security, to know blessing, to know provision at your hand. It is also instructive for us to know what it is to be a blessing in society, to love our neighbor, to, to treat them as we would want to be treated. We are meant to be those dispensing wisdom in our personal lives, but to also all those around us. May we do so, and in doing that, be witnesses to Christ. And Father, we give a special petition that you would help all of us to, to really know what true security in you is, to know that no matter the situation or trial, our destiny is secure in Christ himself, and may that be then the source of our confidence, our rest, our peace. We ask this in your name.